Welcome everybody to episode 223. Now that's kind of an interesting number, 223. And if you're listening to this podcast or watching it on YouTube, we're on the cusp of February 23, which is 223. So in honor of all this 223, we're doing a full-length podcast all about the 223 and its related cartridge cousins. Tune in to hear all about it. Welcome back, everybody, and welcome to a full-length cartridge talk. I repeat, full-length cartridge talk, where Jim and I will once again drink from the cartridge cup of knowledge from the Ryan Muckenhorn, which actually the cup, Ryan, is uh, still my cup. I guess it's my cup of knowledge. I don't know. It's your knowledge, my cup. Still anyway, works. Ryan, how's your garden? My garden's well-tended. How is yours? Mm, well-tended as well. Thank you very much for asking. Of course. No, I don't even know what you guys are talking about right now. You don't? No. Oh. How's your garden? It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem fine. All right. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm skeptical of what you're talking about. My goodness, am I glad to be here with all of you from the Vortex Nation today. Um, take a look at Mark's mustache. You thought the beard was great, but holy buckets. Mm, okay, I like that. Let's kick this off. You switched it up a little bit. The reception at home was not consistent with the feedback I've gotten from... From you and my friends that work here, Ryan. You just got to figure out whose whose opinion means more to you. Oh, boy. Don't put me there. All right. Speaking of talking about, I think I said talking about earlier. Today, if you're still listening, you're probably wondering what the hell we're going to talk about. And it is the 223. Yeah. The very popular. I don't even think we've had a... We had, oh, no. We did talk about the 556 by 45. We, we talked about it within the context of the NATO package. Yes, correct. But now, in honor of 223, February 23rd, if you're listening to this on the day of the podcast, That's it's clever. got, well, it's going to be the 21st. That's just how it lined out. But it's still oh, really? in celebration of the very near upcoming. Yeah. Mm. Stop. 223. Stop. Stop listening. Come back on the 23rd. Then you yeah. can really feel special. Ryan, we've got a, we've got a lot going on here with the 223. A lot of history. Yes, it's been uh, used uh, by our armed forces. Yeah, uh, we got a few different variants here. We've got the we've got the two twenty three, then we've got the five point five six millimeter ball M one ninety three, and the five point five six by forty five millimeter NATO. Mm. They're all kind of the same thing. They're all kind of different. Same but different. But Let's go on. Yeah. Let's start with the two twenty three. Oh, okay. Um, very storied history with this cartridge. Uh, Mid-1950s, the search was on for a very lightweight, high-velocity, high-capacity service cartridge. And there were some existent cartridges already, namely the Triple Deuce, 222 Remington, which <clears throat> was a very popular varminting and target cartridge. Uh, won a lot of titles in the benchrest community. And this was kind of the, um, the father if you will, of, of the two, two, three, as we know it today. How do you make um, it better? You add one. Yeah. Well, you just make the, the neck a little shorter and the car or case overall length a little longer, a little capacity bump and you end up with the two twenty three. Um, so yeah, here's this requirement for this, this fast, highly portable, you know, devastating cartridge to be put in this new radical firearm that we today know as the AR 15 or the M16. This is a Eugene Stoner design. Um, 
And yeah, this, this is what we've come up with. The initial loading, that M193 that you talked about, was a 55 grain full metal jacket, um, zipping along pretty quick. And, and this is what kicked it all off. This is an old cartridge when we really think about it. How did we get the diversion of the, the 223 Remington and the 5.56 NATO? Like, how, how did that go about happening? So, they're the same, but they're different. Right. Right. If we, if we were to cross-section the case, we'd find that the 5.56 is a little bit heavier in a couple of spots. And if we were to look at the chamber, we're going to see that the throat is a little bit different. Right. Um, on the outside, if we were to throw them on the table, you couldn't tell them apart. Because you could get 223 loaded with 55 grain ball, and you could get 556 by 45 loaded with 55 grain ball, and, and exterior dimensions are otherwise identical. Right. Flip the case head over, you're going to see something maybe a little different. Um, the NATO loading is just a higher pressure loading, uh, and then that that's about it. I mean, otherwise they're the same. Well, because I know when people talk about ARs yeah. and stuff, you don't want to have a uh, 223 Remington chamber. And then be running five five six through it, but if you have the five five six chamber, you can run two two three through it. They become it. interchangeable. Yeah, and it gets that. That's just a little bit goofy. It, it's not really an issue anymore. I know it was kind of an issue at first, like when we had that sort of two thousand eight boom in ARs and all that. Yeah. Everyone just started buying whatever AR stuff they could find. Yeah. That was at first where it was like, well, make sure you know you get the right kind of chamber for you know whatever you're going to do. And there's some debate on that as well. <clears throat> and and to answer that. Easily, there's a chambering called 223 Wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. W-Y-L-D-E. Um, I've also heard it pronounced Wildy, Wildy, and others. Um, Wild. Yes. Cool whip. Yeah. Got a little to it. <laughs> Why am I saying quick weird? <laughs> and this is this is a hybridization of the two chambers. So when we look at the, the throat and lead dimensions of a 5.56 NATO and then that of a, a Sammy Spec 223, um, it's a combination of both so that you can fire both interchangeably. You can reap the benefit or potential benefit of accuracy from the 223 chambering with the reliability running 61,000 PSI loadings of 5.56 NATO. Okay. You know, so, right. yeah, I mean, for everything else put into the soup, they, they end up being like the same cartridge. Yeah. But why uh, not just convert everything just like 223 wild? I mean, most... Nowadays is okay. Yeah, I, I mean a lot. I shouldn't say most. A lot of is either five five six nano chambering or two two three wild. If I not like bolt guns though, we're talking like ARs. You see a lot of bolt guns that are two 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 three Remington. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good point. That's, that so that's what I was going to ask when I when you order just an off the off the rack. You know, name your name your bolt rifle manufacturer. Yeah, and it says two twenty three. I didn't know if that was just. It's like, yeah, it's a wild, but we're just calling it a 223, or well, it's actually a 223. I'd have to, I'd have to do some polling of the, yeah, folks who are chambering stuff up at the factory. Yeah. Okay. okay. It is funny though more, how more, more to come. <laughs> yeah. It is funny though how the 223 has been, it gets overlooked all the time in terms of its use in bolt action rifles. Sure. All the time. Yep. And it's very viable bolt action rifle. One hundred percent. And. People just all, you hear it, and it just has become synonymous with AR-15s, M4s, M16s, all that sort of yeah. thing. But and I and then I feel like it also gets just sort of shoved into the category of like run and gun, yep. you know, door kicking stuff like that. Yep. And lots of people, and I suppose where you can do it, use it for hunting and you know, uh, whitetail, 
other animals like that, and then, you know, predators, things of that nature. Yep. There's my first predator cartridge. My father had purchased a Remington 700, just a straight-up synthetic ADL, and I was enamored with it. I was so excited. I think I was 12, or I might have been even younger than that. I might have been like eight, and he brought that home. Oh, I was gassed. And when I went out and shot it, I was anticipating recoil, and there was none. Mm-hmm. And it was hyper-accurate. It was a great. I, in fact, still have that gun. It can be very accurate. Yep. Oh, it can, it can be super accurate. Yep. And you, you're looking at, for a cartridge that really will just do a good job in most predator hunting situations. Mm-hmm. Not all. You know, I'm not going to say it's like, oh, man, if I was going to build a predator gun for long-range predator hunting, like yeah. it might not be the 223. But you look like this is just an example, example that I printed off, Jim. You got, you got, a, you got a horny loading with a 55-grain VMAX. Muzzle velocity of thirty two forty, you know. Uh, got my, uh, you know, a a a three hundred yard trajectory. It's very yeah. fast and flat. Uh, great, the printout didn't print out. Right <laughs> I was about to say, Mark, this is where technology really starts it to really, uh, show it really, some of it its failed, it failed me there. I want to say, literally, cut you off. Gosh, right? don't quote me. I want to say it was about seven inches at. Uh, at 300 yards. It's very Man, flat cartridge. A, a lot of shots at coyotes are 300 and in. Yeah. It's got plenty of energy, plenty of gas to get the job done. I have taken a white-tailed deer with the cartridge. Yeah. Phenomenal in the AR platform. Yes. Which is a phenomenal platform for predator hunting. Mm-hmm. We've talked about so it before. Good. It's so good. You can use the AR. I, I don't even know why. I've started actually looking at my ARs so much differently now. Like they're almost just my gun for everything. Oh, it's a home defense gun. Let me change ammo. Now it's my white tail gun. Oh, let me change ammo again. Now it's my coyote gun. A great question to ask then. Is that a function of the rifle or the cartridge? That is a good question. I think it it's a function of the cartridge uh, in many ways. Because if you think about, like, I don't know if there's anything inherent about the AR-15 that makes it, like, perfect for everything. I think it's just that we've found ways to adapt it to everything yeah you know how like you know how they say that the human mind is incapable of coming up with anything that's completely brand new like if you ever just sit there and say like hey try and invent a new color everybody's always like well they, they always are like well what if you just mixed red and it's no you can't do that you have to invent a new color you know what i mean like you've or, obviously or never new... seen my blurple concept <laughs> <but>. <laughs> or like a new like letter of the alphabet or a new yeah. sound to me like you can't do it it's all just mixtures of things you already know yeah you know, so if you're thinking to yourself, whoa, let me think of the perfect do-all gun. It's like, okay, we'll try and just make that up from scratch, not based on anything else. You know, it's like, I can't. So I don't know. But I feel like the, the two twenty three cartridge, though, it just is extraordinarily Very versatile. Well and it just because it and the AR go together like PB&J, I mean, I don't know. It just it's That's just what it winds up yeah, It's and a great question you asked, though. I mean, the, the rifle, or the cartridge, rather, was designed into that rifle. Way back when. Uh, and and I still think it's really cool to think about. Like, we're talking 1954, 55, 56. I mean, that's a long time ago. The things that we didn't have then that we do now or the things that existed then that no longer exist now and, and the AR-15 and its derivatives live on and are stronger than ever. I mean, look at, look at in theater of war, it's like the rifle and its derivatives, things based around it. Um, and the cartridge still holds strong. I mean, we've we've talked in previous podcasts about 
potential replacement cartridges and things like this. And it just doesn't really happen because it's that good of a cartridge. There are things that come out that, that are better at certain tasks and, and jobs uh, that displace it in, in certain arenas. But they, it, like replacing the, vi- or the cartridge on the battlefield is very difficult to do because it is small, it is portable, it has low recoil, um, and it is effective for the job and task at hand. Um, and, and maybe that's a whole nother conversation, but like the cartridge itself for the sportsman or woman, the recreationist, the hunter, the law enforcement officer, the military person is, it's, it's extraordinary. What it's if, pretty wild. What have, it's two, two, three wild. Uh, what have you seen in regard to bullet, um, bullet weights, small, to big 29 to mid 80s that's a big range yeah when you talk about percentages and things like that like that's a huge range yeah big time um and the excuse me the cartridge takes on a couple like different roles at that point too so if you're if you're going in the hyper light category the idea behind it is probably like i'm gonna use the word explosive and we've talked about this before in podcasts not explosive as an incendiary but explosive no as an, detonation. Correct. Like it hits something and it, it dematerializes the projectile and then likely subsequently the thing that it hits uh, if it's a soft target. But, you know, like these very lightweight, high velocity varmint bullets. Um, and, and I'm thinking of things like the Barnes varmint grenade, uh, Nosler's NTXs, the Hornady VMAXs, very thin jacketed, high velocity projectiles that are designed to completely and totally dematerialize when they hit something. Um, you find that in that, that lightweight arena. You're not going to get a squirrel trophy mount if you shoot it with one of those. 0% chance of that working. Um, yeah. Uh, the idea is uh, if we're hunting things like prairie dogs, you know, we get this explosive result. Or if we're hide hunting for like coyote and fox and things like this, the bullet goes in but doesn't exit and does not leave a large hole on the op- opposing side that you then have to sew up. Um, or that could, you know, diminish the value of the, the hide if, if we were still in a position to sell hides for profit, which we can't do anymore, it seems. Um, moving up through the, the weight category, you then get into like this interesting bonded or heavier construction um, in the projectile for larger game, like deer or pig, things like this. Bullets that are designed to hold together, retain weight, penetrate, and exit, um, break bones, things like that. And we look at bullets like um, the 64 grain Noslers and the, the Acubon loadings from Nosler. And we look at the Barnes TSX and TTSX bullets um, and Hornady's GMX bullet. And then when you get to the way heavy weight side of the house, most of them are like a match profile bullet. So we're talking thin jackets, but very, very tuned bullet. The precedence is put on accuracy. Most of them are either a match boat tail hollow point design or these newer high speed, um, you know, match profile bullets with, with a, you know, high speed Delrin tip on it or some sort of tip that, that doesn't uh, melt at speed. Um you know, and then you're getting into that 73, 75, 77, 80 and a half and up 88 grain bullet weight that are available. And again, the precedence is put then on long range accuracy. Um, and when I used to shoot a lot of three gun and I loaded a lot of two, two, three, um, I shot 55 grain ball, just regular full metal jackets like this projectile here for close range stuff, 300 and in steeler paper. And then for long range stuff where we were outside of that 300 yard zone, then I was loading 
um, either 75 or 77 grain projectiles for the most part um, that that had just better flight characteristics and, and higher retained energy at distance. So if I was shooting like a steel target and I needed it to react a certain way, those 75 and 77 grain projectiles had enough mass to move that target to make like a, a visual indication or a much louder clang when they got hit so that the range officer could call my hit and see my hit. Um, but yeah, really versatile. And you, and you can, you can run that same bullet in the same case and, and you don't give up a heck of a lot when you get to the heavier weight stuff, you're going to dip below 3000 feet per second, but, um, most of the time anyway, um, and still have a wildly effective cartridge. You often hear that ball designation, yeah. like you, like you just mentioned, what does that mean? Well, so the, I guess the history of the name ball, I think literally comes from ball. Okay. Like, like, like musket ball. Yeah. Um, I think somebody Google me on that. Moving forward, when we hear the word ball ammunition, very typically it denotes a full metal jacket, non-expanding projectile. Um, like we have nine millimeter ball loading, which is typically a 115 or a 124. We have um, 45 ACP ball loading, which is typically a 230 grain full metal jacket. Um, in the 223 and, and 308 platforms or 556 and 762 NATO platforms, it's usually a 55 grain ball or a 62 grain ball or a 147 or 150 ball loading. I, I think it's just stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like th- those ball loadings, what are people generally using those for then? Well, either just target. So mm-hmm. like when I was shooting them in three gun a lot, it was just for shooting holes in paper mm-hmm. or hitting closer range steel targets, um, or we'll get into a lot of the specifics on it. But expanding projectiles in military use are sometimes considered a no no, mm-hmm. and so they're used for that. Gotcha. Yeah, that that military application. Indeed. One of the interesting things is the idea of 223 for long range shooting. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at a lot of, we've talked about some of those tiny hyper uh, velocity varmint cartridges. Yep. And a lot of them I feel like are lightning right away, and then they kind of lose a lot of snooze after a certain closer than you would think yeah. distance. Yep. But 223, I mean, there's all kinds of dudes that are shooting it out to 1,000 oh, yeah. plus, yep. probably. Yep. Um, I mean, isn't there, there's even F-class uh, divisions for it. Um, there's PRS divisions for shooting 223. Scott Parks and I were just talking about that. He shot a whole season of just 223. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's... But competing against other cartridges or in a yeah. division that was just 223? No, he was shooting tactical class with a... I think a 223. I think in tactical class, is that the one where it's 223 or 308? Yep. Yep. She's one or the other. Yep. Oh, interesting. Um, yep. So, yeah, somebody can, I don't know, that, that was what I heard last. But uh, anyway, it is pretty wild, though, how it actually has um, viability in those oh, scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that goes back to what you spoke to earlier. I mean, as a cartridge, it's, I mean, it is versatility wrapped up into a package. I mean, it is literally like, here I go. It's a small block Chevy. Sure. You can find it <laughs> under every rock in America. Yep. There's everybody knows how to do it well. Yep. And it's got a gazillion in one uses. Yep. Throw it in a truck and tow stuff with it. Throw it in a muscle car and do drag races with it. Throw it in I don't, whatever. It did do anything. It'll do anything. Yeah. It is pretty remarkable to think about how capable it is for long range shooting. <clears throat> and to speak to that, like that, the PRS arena. 
I mean, that is stressing a cartridge across the field. I mean, from 1,200 all the way in. Yeah. Um, and it has to have good flight characteristics, and it has to be controllable, and it has to be accurate, and it has to be consistent. And the cartridge still stands. And when you look at it, it is diminutive, I mean, compared to a lot of other things out oh, there. Oh, yeah, it's, a lot of the new ones with their big kind of fat bodies yeah. of the, you know, the, yeah. the cart or the case itself. And they got these tiny little fancy, sexy looking bullets sticking out of them, you yeah. know, that are like hardly seated in there. And I mean, it's funny too, when you see somebody doing well and they're shooting long range and they're just, just burning down a stage or something. And you're kind of like, oh, I bet they're shooting some six millimeter Dasher GT fireball, whatever. <laughs> and you go up and you're like, what you shooting? 223. And it's almost kind of like, uh, uh. Jim, I think you may have uh, initiated our next Wildcat. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Um, what are we going to do? Uh, 223? Dasher cat. GT 223 wild. bitch cat. Um, there you go. But it, it is. It's just sort of, you hear that and you're kind of like, oh, I guess you're just using a regular cartridge, you know? And meanwhile, everybody else is trying to load up all these crazy Wildcats and you're like, well, here's something that physically works. Yep. And when you're done with it, you can go do other stuff too. And we, and we <laughs> see... Uh, I mean, 22 is carved out a big piece of this, but the trainer concept rifle in 223, just just for oh, all the reasons sure. that we've talked about before, like low recoil, low cost, very effective to to extended distances. Um, and yeah, a lot of these guys will have full package guns set up exactly like their you know full horsepower, fully leaded version, just chambered in 223. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my opinion, the only downside to it is that it's loud. Sure. That's my. That's literally my only, I guess if I had a, you could log a complaint, so to speak, or if there was something that I would look for that would be better at something else. Um, obviously, there's certain scenarios where you would want something bigger, so we'll just leave that aside. But uh, it's really loud. They make these devices. You can... Yeah, I know. Well, you can I mean, are you saying are you saying end, loud versus a twenty two trainer? You mean, or like well, just yeah, in I general? Mean, yeah, if we're comparing, that's Ryan brought up twenty two long. I mean, you know, that's easy to suppress even when you don't suppress it half the time. I mean, it's like if somebody torches one off next to you, you're not bleeding out of the ears. Um, you put a suppressor on this; it's still kind of loud. You know, like you can probably shoot if you're outdoors, uh, not at our indoor range, perhaps. But if you're outdoors, you may be able to get by. It's not going to be the greatest thing ever, but right. you know, there's other stuff that suppresses better. Yeah. It is, you know, I'm we're talking about it now. We've talked about it before. I, I know Scott, you know, shot those matches with it, but I still mentally have a difficult time wrapping my head around, like, I feel like the effective range. I'm like, no, oh, it's, you know, 600 and in. Uh, application yeah, is everything, you, Yeah, right? it depends on what we're talking about. So, like, I had a 75 grain loading that was in the mid to upper 2700 foot per second range and it was lightning at 600 like lightning very easy to shoot very great trajectory um no recoil of course and it was emulating everything that the 308 would do no sweat um so yeah i mean it 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 stands on its own with a heavy weight and that's for tap and steel though (laughs) sure yeah not hunting with it. Yeah, you're not going to yeah. be hunting with it at 600 yards, right. you know, necessarily. Right, right. So, um, the idea, yeah. the idea with that loading was just impact on target. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I, I mean, but like that's one of one million things the cartridge does very well. Right. It's, it's like pick your, you know, pick your application, and 223 is going to be near the top of the list for most of it, short of very large game. Mm-hmm. Well, I should say over deer sized game. Not that you couldn't take an elk with a 223. 
I think maybe you could in a couple of states. Um, but I don't know that I would. Like it just feels weird. Yeah, it's pretty small. I mean, it is very small. Not pretty. It's very yeah. small. What sometimes in these cartridge talks we'll do uh, we'll do this kind of um, hypothetical scenario or something like that. Yeah. Like, what are we talking about with the spectrums of let's let's talk muzzle velocity mm-hmm. and things like that? Like, what can one just by playing around within the limitations they have within the case and bullet selection, all that? What could one do with a light enough projectile approaching four thousand feet per second? Dang, really? Um, yeah. Sure. I think that the factory loading for the Hornady 53 grain Superformance with the 53 grain V Max is in the 36s. And that's not a light projectile in no. this, in this yeah. cartridge. Um, in fact, we've got this. We Bible got the over Bible. Here. Let me just reach back here and grab this. <clears throat> what, um, what, what twist uh, twist rate does one normally use with such lightweight? Two, two, three projectiles. So that would be like a one in 12. You could get by with that, no sweat. And if you're going to be pushing higher velocities like that, that's a good place to be. You, you might extend your uh, barrel life just a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the uh, predator hunters that I know, um, 12 is pretty common, 10 is pretty common. In a lot of the ARs, we're seeing eights, seven and a halves, and sevens. Right. Utilized. Maybe a nine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nine. Of course. How can I forget nine? Um, so yeah, I mean, Hornady's got book data, um, for the 53 grain VMAX at 34. And, and so somebody should Google me on that. Oops, I hit my microphone. Somebody should Google me on that on the, the factory, um, superformance loading for the 53 grain VMAX because it is astoundingly fast. Um, and I mean, they load all the way down to the 35 grain NTX at 3,800 feet per second. Son of a beast. Yeah. So that's, that's, that is grooving. That 35 NTX is non toxic. It's one of those like very hyper explosive characteristic when it hits a soft target, centered metal core. Um, very lightweight prairie dogs, ground squirrels, woodchucks, varminting in general. That would be a stellar option. And we had talked previously about like the 204 Ruger mm-hmm. and how fast that cartridge was with the 32 grain VMAX. And this is getting pretty close. I mean, right. within 400 feet per second of what that cartridge is doing with a lighter weight bullet, um, you know, and the hand loader might be able to take, you know, greater advantage of that. Um, but in the same manual, in the same cartridge, we go multiple pages over, we go all the Many way Many pages. Yeah. We go all the way up to the... 80 grain ELD mm. at 2750. So when you when you think about a bullet that's got a BC that high, 485, which is pretty darn good when you're looking at considering the caliber, and you're pushing it at that velocity, I mean it's it's emulating high BC 308 in, in a lot of scenarios. So yeah, I mean you can get a lot out of that cartridge um, in the same you know load manual. Pretty wild. I mean, it does look, as a reloader, you could definitely have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Yeah, one cartridge. I bet that 223 Remington is the cartridge that I have loaded the most in centerfire. I mean, I wouldn't bet. I would guarantee it. Now, yeah. just by the volumes centerfire at which rifle. you used to shoot it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I've unquestionably loaded more just 9 millimeter as a centerfire in general. But as a centerfire rifle, 223, unquestionably. Loaded that one the most. I tell you what, a lot of times people are looking for a cartridge to do all things. This is not it. It's not it. No, but it can do many things. Oh yeah, you could probably get away in life. Nobody wants to do this. Why limit yourself? You could probably get away in life with like two guns. Yeah, 
one being a 223 mm-hmm. and the other being probably a 30 cal of some sort yep probably 308 yep or something like that yep absolutely man i wouldn't want to i don't like that life jim i don't like it either that's why I, I don't live, even like to I, that's think why about I live it. Far from it, I'm in. The, I'm not even in the same zip code as that life. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even like the. You know, I'm not one of the guys here at Vortex that has like ten thousand different cartridges. But I definitely want more than two. <laughs> well, you could go that route, and it would be it would be okay. You, you could, could you could hunt deer with it, and I think be very effective. In fact, the the singular deer that I've shot with this cartridge was very dead. Oh, I believe it. I was astounded by how effective that was. I mean, you could certainly, like, like it wouldn't be your ideal, but if somebody said, you know, oh, here, it's the end of the world, and yeah. you got a two two three or a five five six, and you need to survive, and here's all your ammo, I'm pretty sure you could make do. Yes. So in that scenario, yep. what are your two guns? Mr. Well, I mean, they have things with wings, so it'd probably be a 12-gauge or a 20-gauge. Probably a 12-gauge mm. would be one. Okay. Um, a two twenty three would be a very, very strong contender for the center fire component. What would, would your gun be? Like, what specific two twenty three would you have? You know, that's hard to say because I really do like the utility of the AR platform yeah. and, and what it can do. I mean, again, we've done this before. Are we talking Red Dawn scenario or are we talking like... You get one. I think it. I think it's just you get one. You know what I mean? It'd be like, hard. I don't know. Red It'd, Dawn is kind of obvious. Right. Like, you're going to take an AR. Yeah. Okay, so you just get one. Red Dawn could happen, but also it could just be another semi-regular. These last two years have well, not been regular, but it could okay. just be another year and it, without Red Dawn. It'd probably be an AR. Um, I'd be happier with just a good, sturdy bolt gun. Yeah. Um, that would that would speak to me a little bit more, right? I'd be fine with that. I hunted with a bolt gun for many years in a two twenty three before I got into an AR, um, also chambered in two twenty three, and I never had any problems with it. I mean, follow up shots were a little trickier, of course. I left a lot of doubles on the table um, with the bolt gun because I couldn't work it fast enough, and I was so darn excited to have two coyotes coming in at mm. once. Um, but you know, they're reliable accurate simple I, I really favor a bolt gun so maybe yeah. I'm, I'm just going to be contrary and say i'm going to get a bolt gun look at you yeah yeah i think that's where i'd go to woke up today might get a bolt gun yep i reserve i feel like this is something that takes a lot more thought than i've been able to give it yep. at this table right now yep. but pressed for an answer i'm going with a bolt 223 and uh and 12 gauge yep i'll take an ar then when it comes to a territory dispute between me and you guys, it's going down. Because this just turned into a wow. survival situation. Jeez, Louise, it's I was not gonna, a regular year no more. Yeah, I was going to invite you over. Yeah, how, well, how, How's your garden, Jim? Full of landmines, I guess. That's right. Great. <laughs> I will not be looking at your rutabagas. Look out. Uh, hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk, what's going Okay, so this isn't a 223, I guess. And we've talked about these variants before what's up with the 223 ai how is uh, that different sure so ai ackley improved po ackley famous gunsmith um 40 degree shoulder and reduced body taper dimensions there's not a ton of body taper on a 223 anyway right but the po ackley version of this is a slightly shorter neck and a 40 degree shoulder 
Yep. So we're bumping case capacity out a little bit. And that is a pretty special cartridge. Um, good friend of mine, Keith, shoots a 223 AI bolt gun when he towed in F-Class and, and just for fun, for long-range stuff. Um, and I think he was shooting the 80-and-a-half-grain burger exclusively. And his thought was, I'm getting a notable velocity increase, enough with that heavyweight projectile to kind of push it into a new class. Uh, this is reserved almost exclusively for bolt guns just due to the geometry of the cartridge and how it feeds up a feed ramp. Um, I'm unaware of anybody who's doing a 223 AI semi-auto platform. I'm sure it's been done probably. Um, but you, you're picking up a fair amount more gas in that cartridge mm. with that 223 AI. Um, and then if you're not limited to the magazine length of, of say, the Stanag mag or the AR mag, then you really open it up into something special. So now we're able to seat that bullet out further. We're able to take advantage of that increased case capacity, um, and you're, you're turning it into a whole different cartridge. Do you know what kind of velocities you're getting there? I think he was scratching what? 29 with that 80 and a half grain, if I can recall this correctly. Because I know that 2800 is not undoable uh-huh. with a 75, 77 grain projectile, if you're, yeah. if you're loading right. Um, Scott's got some pretty special loads, which he won't divulge the recipe for, um, that he's, he's pushing them pretty darn fast. Why won't he do that? I I mean, just safety's sake. But if we, if we're looking at like the service rifle data here in the book, and so there's an important distinction to be made here. The service rifle low data is for that positional shooting, like CMP and NRA high power Mm -hmm. in which we're shooting, uh, you know, 100, 200, 300 and 600 yard targets. Um, they're pushing... The 80 grain ELD at 2750 out of a 20 inch gas gun. So that's a that's a long bullet that's eaten up a lot of case. The idea is it can be fired in that weapon safely. So if you pair this with a bolt gun that has potentially a longer barrel and we're not limited to magazine restriction, lengthwise anyways, you can squeeze more out of it. Hmm. So that Ackley variant, um, that's something that I've toyed with i'm not flirting with it but i've toyed with it mm. um thought about getting into that I'd be curious what the difference is well you know we're oh flirting is where you buy the dies cur- yeah toying is where you still haven't bought anything yet well i wouldn't say that flirting is i bought the dies is flirting is have i found where i can get the dies yes how long is the back order on the dies okay four to eight weeks all right um, you haven't done that yet with the AI? No, no the 223 AI. Because the, the problem that I have with this is like, yes, there's a realized benefit. You, you're going to pick up more velocity. You're exclusively hand-loading for it. Now, you could shoot regular 223 oh, out of a Ryan, 223 you AI. you don't care about doing that. Well, you hand-load all the time. I, I know, but it, it, it takes on a very different form. And then I have to justify the use of the cartridge. Like, what am I doing with this that I can't do with a regular 223? And, and the, the short answer is very little. I, I mean, you're getting a little bit more velocity. You're getting, you know, the ability to shoot these heavier weight, higher BC projectiles. How much of that am I going to see for the kind of shooting that I want to do? And for me personally, it's like 600 yards and in. Um, and the short answer is I'm not really realizing that benefit other than I got a much cooler looking case. Um, and it's, it's, I have to load for it. Got it. Two Brian, points. do you ever shoot out further than 600 yards just for fun? Not just really. Just kind of like, just goofing. The only time I do is when I'm with you. That is how it seems. Yeah. <laughs> Why? I, I Aren't mean, you ever kind of like, don't you ever want to get out of your little safety bubble? 
you just have this line drawn in the sand where it's sort of like, this is where I feel safe. Anywhere beyond this is dangerous. It's where I feel ethical and effective. Oh, I'm not just talking about hunting. How about um, steel? There's no ethics when it comes to steel. Steel doesn't have feelings. That's true. I you mean, know that. So, okay, this is going to sound... You know. This is going to sound dumb. We asked. Possibly elitist. There's nothing for me there, out there. To say I can do it, I've done it. Okay? Um, so, I, the furthest I've gone is 1,550 yards. Um, and it was fun. It was a hoot. Um, I would say, did I learn anything? The short answer is no. I mean, it was it was fun to do. It was interesting to do. Nothing about it was amazing um, because I'm not fielding anything at those distances. I'm not shooting game at those distances. I don't shoot PRS. I don't shoot F class. Um, for me, like my enjoyment comes from 600 yards and in. What is that cartridge doing at those distances? Um, how does it group? How does it shoot? I can shoot to a pretty de- pretty high degree of ability, I think, anyways, for me, at those distances. So I can look at a cartridge and be like, or a loading or a rifle or whatever, and be like, wow, at 600 yards, it does this. Um, and it's very tangible for me. I can take away from there and be like, okay, cool, this is a good hunting rifle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it. I'm going to enjoy it. You don't ever think stuff like, boy, if I can do that at 1,200, 600, it'll be a walk in the park. That's what I was going to say. Practicing at those extended ranges, getting a load that's accurate yeah. at those extended ranges, that's also good for hunting. And that is a very big caveat because the bullets that are really good at those distances aren't really the bullets that are good for to hunt with. Oh, so now he's saying things. Yeah, so that are really like it's hurtful. Okay, I've taken yeah. my I've taken my. This is a huge departure from two twenty three Remington. So for yeah, kids, is it Ryan? Is it? I've taken my smokeless muzzleloader to a thousand and fifty yards, and I've shot a sub ten inch group. At that distance, so sub MOA at a thousand and fifty yards with a muzzle loader. Nothing about that was interesting to me at five hundred yards. It was just like a it was like a parlor trick. It's like, oh, cool, that gun shoots really good at that distance. I already knew that it shot really good at 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, where I'd field it, and it was just neat to say that. Oh my goodness, it shot really good at a thousand and fifty yards. So when you shoot at 500 yards, yeah, you do nothing different, take nothing differently into account. There's no added level of difficulty, skill, complexity, marksmanship, or anything when you go and shoot at 1,000 well, yards. Well, there is. There is. Okay, so there but is. The two aren't, the two aren't like... They're not, is it this, is it, do you not feel it's the same muscles that you're flexing that yeah. then are getting stronger, yes. maybe incrementally more when you shoot at greater distances that then it becomes easier to shoot it? It's not. Would I be shooting those same projectiles? Well, no, they're already gone. They're already, they already <laughs> hit a target. No, but would I be shooting those same match profile projectiles a game? Would you not? No. Oh. Probably not. You were shooting match projectiles out of a muzzle. The, the muzzle loader's a little bit different. But like I'm talking, okay, two, two, three. I can shoot a two, two, three to a thousand yards. Okay. Would I be hunting big game with those bullets? No, you would not. Zero percent chance of that. No. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So right. right, but here's the way I look at it: is you're you're practicing your fundamentals to a degree that you're able to execute those shots at distance mm-hmm. accurately, reliably, consistently. So you're practic you're practicing at a high level. Yeah. When you get that shot, 
closer in. We'll say we'll say six hundred and in. It's like your your muscle memory, your practice, yeah. the the way you're in right. which you've practiced right. is going to benefit those closer shots. Where you're not going to be like, oh yeah, that's good enough. Bam! You're like, no, I'm going to like. You, you're going to execute your your one hundred yard shot like you would your thousand yard shot. Yes, I I would agree with that. If you remove everything else. <laughs> things things I'm not going to do, I'm not going to take my six-pound, two-ounce Kimber Mountain Ascent loaded with 130-grain Barnes TTSXs and practice at 1,000 yards. I might as well... No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. It's like shooting clay pigeons with a twenty-two in the air. You don't even want to know? No, not really. That bullet's know. not... That bullet's... The flight characteristics just aren't there. I'd be fair I'd be, enough. Fair I'd enough. walk away frustrated. I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, it shoots like garbage," and then I'd lower my confidence in the rifle. Now I know what that rifle will do to six hundred because I've fielded out there quite frequently. I'd be like, "Okay, that's good." Well, Ryan, I think we're, the, we're, we're, I feel like we're talking about six hundred is here, not far well, too. No, well, six hundred is a it's a poke. What we're getting at here as well is that Ryan is a very strange type of enthusiast because some enthusiasts are just sort of like, "Oh, all the things, yes." And Ryan is like, he's like, I'm an enthusiast, but in the way that only I like to enthuse or be enthused. And therefore, <laughs> he enthu- your way of being enthused is not enthusiating to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fun to shoot a thousand yards. It's a hoot. Yeah. Done it before with you. Last you just time, don't he's care. A, he's a, just he, don't care. He's I know. You're on a video. You're on a video. He's enthused all the different ways. Yeah. But given the opportunity, chooses to enthuse a particular way. That's yeah. right. Like you audit, you audit my gun safe. You find a very small handful of rifles that are like deemed the thousand yard gun. Right. You find a large smattering of rifles that are hunting rifles. Right. I'm not saying they have no business being in a thousand yards because again, fun parlor trick. Love to do it just for fun. They've got no business being there. It's kind of like cars you know. one of the one of one of those rifles is a 22 creedmoor and the guy's talking about parlor tricks never fired it <laughs> <laughs> okay you got me back on the uh, 223 remington and should, we're back we after should, that yeah. uh, and we're back. brief word to, uh, brought to you by I, our well, sponsors i, I do want to have ryan i do want to touch on this though because a lot of people hated this cartridge and i don't know if it was necessarily the cartridge the loading the rifle or even the cleaning practices and powder used, but you know a lot Dude, of that whole thing was set up, so it just was set it, up. It to was fail. set up to fail off the gun. I mean, oh it, you, and actually, maybe expound upon what we're talking about yeah, here. Sorry. So when the rifle first saw like military campaign, Vietnam conflict, there there are tomes of information written about this and the disaster that was the original M sixteen the original 223 and like pick the point in the story in which you want to jump in and be like obvious failure point was it the magazines was it the rifle was it the cleaning equipment issued or not issued was it the powder used in the environment that the powder was being expelled through the, the rifle lubrication or complete lack thereof yeah. was it the gas system was it the i mean so many things the feed ramps right went into predisposing this cartridge and that platform to immediate failure from a, from like a social standpoint 
like so many things went into it that it got a very nasty reputation pretty much out of the gate. What I think is, is interesting and very telling to folks who are using that as a talking point to the merits of the cartridge or the AR platform in general. This isn't an AR podcast, but it wasn't a muzzleloader bullet podcast either. But <laughs> is, is 1958 to 2022. Somebody's got to do a calculator because I went to public school and drank cheap beer in college, and I can't do that math. That cartridge has been alive and is still... There's like no end in sight, right? It's still wildly effective, and that platform is still wildly effective and is utilized today. Now, things have changed, right? Powder technology, the, the way that we're making barrels, the way that the gas system has been operated or uh, optimized, rather, <clears throat> and, and a whole other bunch of things. The magazine, like something as innocuous and, and you know, lackluster as this device, the change that has occurred between the original and today has changed the way that rifle and the cartridge within it behaves. Um, you know, so I'm sure the comment section is going to fill up with, with knocks on the cartridge in, in military theater. And I've not been there, so I can't speak to that, but work with a lot of folks that have, and, and, we still see it extremely prevalent today because it is effective once mm. all the kinks got ironed out, so to speak. Um, and, and the M16A1 was, was a, a very far departure from what we are at today when we look at the M16A4 and any other derivative, for that matter, that's based off the AR platform, still firing that cartridge, mm. albeit a different bullet now than it was then. Um, you know, we don't do M193 anymore. We do SS109 or M885 um, or other bullet loading options um very different radically different place time situation scenario loading everything uh still a great cartridge it seems like one of those deals like yeah off the go was it perfect no, no. Was, was the was the weapon platform perfect you know did, did they make some like i i was reading one thing like you said you were talking about the powders like initially it was I, correct me if i'm wrong but like they started using powder a transitioned to powder b because they wanted increased accuracy but then powder b created uh increased pressures which were essentially causing i guess the neck to rupture rupture or yeah stick and then creating jamming issues and but all the while with all these problems like it still showed like that that type of firearm platform and the cartridge itself, it seems like it showed enough promise. That they're like, we're going to stick with it and figure it out. Yeah. And, and, and in, a short, the, in a the, short amount of time, it was figured out. Do you think if every cartridge had the amount of time to get figured out as has the 308, the 30-06, the 223, and a few maybe other uh, notable cartridges... Do you think that every cartridge could just be so like, oh, it's good at everything, it's really awesome, there's like basically nothing wrong with it? To a degree, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think this is exemplified by the enormous smattering of cartridges that we have available to the hunter. Mm-hmm. In that, if we look at them all on paper, and we look at like trajectory, and we look at energy, and we look at velocity, they're all so very close to each other. You have outliers on either end of the curve, right? But for the most part, they all kind of fall right in the middle. Um, and they are all wildly effective for a particular application. Yeah. 
So I think, yes, given right. perfect scenario, perfect circumstance, time and pressure, everything works out. It's that way with a lot of things these days, though. You know, like, it, it seems like some of the things that are so prolific that we use and see so commonly today, there's almost never going to be another chance to come up with something like that again unless you really look, like, crazy futuristic. You know what I mean? Like, you have to start, you have to kind of, like, there's a lot of people who I think like maybe old-fashioned stuff. I'm one of them, right? I'm never going to be able to come up with something that functions similarly to, like, older things that's prolific enough to last on for like another 80 years right you know like it's get that that time period is kind of drying up in a lot of ways because every cartridge is like you said it's kind of been done at this point now people are making really tiny little tweaks but it's not like somebody's going to make this one micron tweak and all of a sudden it's going to be the next big thing for yeah. 80 years you're just going to have another thing in a giant pool of other things like until somebody starts they finally figure out again uh, electronic ignition or something like yep. that. Like until somebody really develops something that's like going to be prolific and it probably, let's admit, gets adopted by the military or something like that. I mean, that's going to be where the next thing. Yeah, that does seem to be the benchmark. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because we talk out of two sides of our mouth. We, we talk about the word like mil spec and what that actually means. And at one time it used to be like that meant everything. And and now it's like, well, if it's, it's mil spec, it just meets a standard. Ace. Yep. Um, and, and then we talk about like, well, if it's adopted by the military, it must be exceptional at this, uh, the same breath. People are like, oh, this thing is rotten. Not the case. I, I'm, so I'm thinking about this, you know, f to speak to the, like how wonderful the cartridge is when, when we're doing classes at the range, the AR is extremely popular there, right? Oh, it's, it's, it's what we teach our carbine class. You could just call an AR 15 class. Right. It, we think about the loadings that the shooters are going to be running. It's probably going to be a 55-grain ball yeah, load, MJ, right? Yeah. That same rifle in the same chambering can go home and then have a 55-grain VMAX put in it, and then we have a lightning rod for coyotes and fox and woodchucks. That same rifle in the same chambering can have a 75-grain Hornady Bowtail hollow point loaded in it, and we have like an extraordinarily viable target cartridge, and it's all in the exact same case in the exact same platform. Like, they, they, we come back to the versatility of the cartridge. It's so understated mm -hmm. in that a shooter can have three boxes, three completely different applications, target varmint big game or target varmint match, whatever. Just pick the box, load the magazine, go to town. Not the case and still be affordable to shoot and enjoyable to shoot. So, like, I could do that with my 308, I guess, if I wanted to. It would not be as enjoyable to shoot on both my shoulder my forehead and my wallet. Mm, right. The 223, on the other hand. I think you got to put it in perspective and ask yourself this question, too. How many people are still trying to make the argument? Uh, and I'm not, I'm not, well, whatever. It's an argument that, like, the 22 long rifle, that's like the thing. You know, mm -hmm. like, you could do basically everything with a 22. You can do a lot of things with a 22, and everybody's always, you know, like, you could kill an elephant with a 22 with a proper shot placement or something, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, but they say all that stuff. And if you're even contemplating that, look at the two two three. <laughs> it literally somebody said, "Hmm, let's just take the twenty two LR and just crank it up." Yep. And then you just got the two twenty three. So it's 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 the thing that all people are already trying to argue. You can use for self defense, home defense, hunting, varmint, whatever. They're always trying to make that argument. And they're like, "Oh, well, actually, there's a thing over here that basically is that." But somebody just finally turned it up to make it less of a question as to yeah. whether or not it can do something. 
and then you can reload it. Mm. That's extra fun. Bonus fun points. Bonus fun points there yeah. for some. I got a question. Yo. It's a technical question. So, and we've talked about this before, right? All the different all the different numbers that we attribute to cartridges that say pretty much the same damn thing. You know, when we're talking about the, the 6.8 Western, and then you're like, wait, man, the same diameter as a 270. So what's going on with the 5.56 five, and the 220.223? So the 223 is actually a 224. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> which shouldn't be confused with the 222. That's actually a 224 as well, which is the parent case for the 223. Is anything actually a 223? Um, I believe 22 long rifle might be 0.223 diameter. <laughs> See, what did I tell you? They took, they turned it up a little. But bit. I think that depends. Uh, so that's a great question. They actually so, understated the 22. So they it's a, they're like, well, yeah, we turned it up, but eh, 22. It's a 224 diameter, but it's a 223, which comes from the 222 Remington, not to be confused with the 222 Remington Magnum, which. Was Would hate to have that. Also confused. developed kind of in tandem, um, but it's different. Same bullet, different case, similar case, longer case, more velocity, different twist, bolt gun versus something else. So if you like pull up triple deuce magnum loading in here, they really they'll probably stop at like sixty grain because all those guns were twisted differently, mm-hmm. but all shot the same bullet. Same thing with like two twenty one fireball. It's the same bullet that the 223 shoots, but they they go, you know, several points smaller on the caliber designation. And it's metric equivalent? 5.56. Yeah. Or 5.6, rounded up, if you want to get weird. Like, and then there's the 224 Valkyrie, right? Yep, which is 223. It is 223. Yeah. Oh, well, excuse me, 224, but same bullet as a 223. Oh, right. Yeah. It's just, you know, nothing's new. You said it. Like you I, can't... I asked this question, like, and you, you gave me an explanation. Yeah, sort of. It, it's still not clear to me. No. So I think, it, <laughs> I think with respect to naming convention, like the 222 Remington had been on scene for a long time, and we needed a way to differentiate it. Because what would you call it? The 222A or B. Yeah. B. And that would be confusing. But 223 was an open space in the naming convention catalog so like 223 and it wasn't until <laughs> 65 years later when 224 got picked up uh, but that's not true either because before the 224 valkyrie there was a cartridge called the 224 boz oh the boz yeah this is a 10 millimeter neck down to 22 caliber that's going back into seahawks history there i wouldn't know brian bosworth Oh, I don't oh, now okay. I didn't know they called him the Boz. Yeah, the Boz. Seahawk is in like the stellar Seahawk, very large. No, not, uh, no, the, sport, not the sports ball team. Oh, Ryan, sports, yeah, ball sports ball, team. Yeah, and actor. The more oblong shaped ball. That one, rugby, egg shaped. Not well with points on the ends. American football. Yes, thank oh, you. very yes, good. Yep. Very good. Got it. Um, okay, so yeah, naming conventions still confusing, um, but I think it was literally we just had to denote the difference between. 222 Remington, and then this new thing, which was then 223. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I saw it happen. I saw it finally click. <laughs> you probably, I, you probably heard it. Physically watched it. Uh, is there anything we haven't covered about this fine cartridge? Mm. 
I don't think so. Have there been any like super weird variants? Of, you know, like we've we've mentioned some of the extremes you can go to, but is there anything where it's just kind of like, oh, like we talked about thirty out six, and there's a way you can shoot a twenty two out of it. Yeah, somehow. you know what I mean. Like anything weird like that? Mm, no, not not really. I mean, sh- short of again, this goes back to platforms that the cartridge is chambered in. So there's like what's called an Atchison Senior type insert. That if you had an M16 or an AR15, you could put this insert into the effectively it would replace the bolt carrier, and then you'd use a different magazine, and you could fire 22 long rifle out of the AR15 or M16. Oh, and now they sell these as 22 yeah. uh, conversion kits for your ARs and stuff. Yeah. I got one of those. Because yeah, the, I haven't used it yet. But. The board diameter is close enough that it'll it'll work to a pretty high degree of effectiveness. Um, I've heard there is a bit of a jump before the bullet meets the yeah a little bit. So the and then the, that might get credited up with some of that twenty two long rifle stuff. You should probably clean it before you shoot your real stuff out of there. The chambered component yeah. that that goes in there effectively looks like a two twenty three case on the end, and then the back end of this is the start, so to speak, of your barrel. Oh yeah, and so it like chambers into there, and then somewhere midpoint becomes quote the barrel. Um, but yeah, they're they're, yeah, it'd be about kind of the most interesting thing. I think there's a lot of cool wildcats that have come out of it. Um, cartridges like debatably two twenty one Remington Fireball. Um, cartridges like six by forty five, not to be confused with the six by forty seven, which is different. Um, three thirty eight straight, which is a cool Hold one. Hold on, three thirty eight. I was going to ask you, has anybody made it a straight wall? Three thirty eight straight. <laughs> Yeah. That's Wait, fun. what? It's called 338 straight. Is it a... It's a straight wall cartridge. It sounds kind of just novel. Actually, I mean, when you look at like a 350 Legend, very similar to 338 straight. And the reason 338 straight didn't make it was bullet diameter. So a lot of the states that were early adopters of the straight wall thing, you had to have a minimum bore diameter of like 0.358 or... Oh. And so 338 straight fell off. Dang. It's so close. Yeah. Um, Almost there. There's a there's a couple seven millimeter. Is it faster than a um Uh, 350 legend? Yeah, I think a 350 legend might have a leg up on it. Oh really? Okay. Just larger bullet base diameter, a little bit more to push on. Okay. Um 2545 sharps, which is an interesting cartridge. Sounds like an old timey cartridge, but it's actually sounds fancy. Yeah. Um which is a 25 caliber variant of this. Um, and then a couple other things. I mean, there's there's a couple like 20 practical, which is like a 204, but you use a 223 case, it's more practical than the 222 Remington Magnum. So they call it 20 practical. That's um, the one name that makes sense. Yeah. That's it. Right? Um, so yeah. So boring. The, tw- the practical. Yeah. That's, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> boring but it works uh, i mean you got some people over here calling cartridges fireball and then you got <laughs> you got this other dude over here practical. comes up with something yeah practical <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i just put all this work into making a cartridge just it's practical okay I nobody don't wants that one though. yeah no yeah so i mean that's about it there's no wild there was a i take that back there was Ooh. a loading that was like if i recall this correctly it was 123 grain 223 load and this is like a very small, faint footnote in my 17-year-old behind-the-counter-to-gunshot mind. 
I remember reading about this, and it may have just been the depths of the internet, somebody talking about like 123 grain loading for the cartridge. And I think it came out of like Russia or something. I have to look back. We're going to have to, this is going to take a little digging. Yeah. We're going to have to. But um, but no no otherwise wild, crazy, no. Can Cannon, 223 blank. Oh, yeah. Oh, we got one of those. We do? Yeah, we actually have two of those. Did you know that? No. <laughs> we have where two are of those they? things, and we have a bunch of blanks. We, we could be T-shirt cannoning. Of course we know where they are. Shirts across the Vortex Nation with a Can Cannon, yeah. 223 blanks. Yeah, we could. I can't oh, believe we forgot about that. Gosh. My bad. Wow, it's wow, okay. We need some tennis balls. Yep. Yep. I agree. All right. All right. Well, what do you say? Let's hear what, uh, for those of you uh, who are listening, uh, who are fans, or maybe even anti-fans, not fans, of the 223, let's hear your thoughts on it in the old comment section or on Instagram. Is there anything we didn't cover in our side tracks into long-range muscle loading uh, and other just general long-range talk uh, during our 223 talk? Yeah. Let us know. If you have additional questions, let us know. Let us know. Ryan. We'll talk. I have 75 grain Oatdale hollow points. Yes. That I kind of have set up for like, you know, home defense. Is that a bad idea or a fun idea? Because mm. I looked at it and I was kind of like 75 grains. One in the hand is better hey. than two in the bush. I'm certain they're going to do the job. I think one of the right. big worries is overpenetration. And I've heard this one a lot. Um, so if the bullet doesn't completely dematerialize when it hits something, right. goes through something and hits right. something else, this is a concern. The more mass we have in that projectile, the better chance it has of going through that thing. It's depending a good thing on, that I've lined all the walls in my home with AR-500 steel. That is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dry fire has taken a whole new turn at Jim's <laughs> house. Yes, yes, yes. It's also an astounding thermal mass. I imagine. Uh, anyway, what okay. happens with lightning? Hmm? What? Lightning strikes? Oh, <laughs> microwave! It's like a microwave. Know. Yeah. it's like a microwave. You okay. Don't know. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that was a side. Track. Well, no, that's a good, good question. So. Okay, and there you have it, everybody. We'll catch you on the next one. If there's any other very special cartridges that we need to take a longer time talking about, uh, I'd be curious about those too. Awesome. All, All right. right. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, Ryan. Thank Bye. you. I want my cup back. Bye. Bye. There you have it, folks. Thank you very much for listening. As usual, give this video a like if you liked it. Comment something below and give us a subscribe to the Vortex Nation podcast channel. It would mean a lot to us. Also, why don't you give us a follow over on Instagram while you're at it, at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'd love to hear from you over there, and we'll keep you updated with all kinds of cool photos and videos from our adventures that we do here. Otherwise, we will see you on the next one. Thank you again. Happy hunting and shooting, everybody. Have a good one.